opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello, everybody. My name is Jonathan Simeone, and I want to welcome you to this episode of the Demand Our Access podcast. Today, our main topic is going to be service animals. The recorded portion of the presentation is about 23 minutes long. We do have a break in there for questions, and then we will take questions at the end of it. And then at the end of the pre-recorded portion, um, there are a couple of other things that I want to touch, I want to talk about before the podcast ends. Um, So with that being said, we will begin the uh, portion of the podcast talking about service animals, and we'll be back in about 15 minutes or so for questions. Desiree Sturt event has started screen sharing. You are viewing Desiree Sturt event screen. At the outset, I want to say that it is a very cold, windy day here. So you may hear some background noise with things blowing around outside or maybe the heat coming on. I apologize for that, but those are the conditions I have to record under today. Disclaimer. The information presented in any of the Demand Our Access podcast episodes on the Demand Our Access website or otherwise shared in conjunction with or association through the Demand Our Access project is expressly not individual legal advice. Applying the law depends on the circumstances and events that comprise every situation. Since legal advice is fact-specific, nothing about the Demand Our Access project can provide an individual, a group of individuals, or an organization legal advice. Introduction. In this episode, we will discuss service animals under Titles 2 and 3 of the Americans with Disabilities Act, ADA, and Title 1 of the Americans with Disabilities Act. We covered service animals under the Air Carrier Access Act in the episode titled about the Air Carrier Access Act. We will cover service animals under the Fair Housing Act when we discuss the Fair Housing Act. Service animals under Titles 2 and 3. The information covered in this section of the episode is based on two documents from the Department of Justice, DOJ. The document titled Service Animals has lots of information as to how Titles 2 and 3 cover service animals. The document titled FAQs about service animals in the ADA answers more than 30 questions you may have about service animals under Titles 2 and 3. Definition of a service animal. A service animal is defined as a dog that has been individually trained to do work or perform tasks for an individual with a disability. The tasks performed by the dog must be directly related to the person's disability performing work and doing tasks. The dog must be trained to take a specific action when needed to assist the person with a disability. Examples of work or tasks service animals do include, but are not limited to the following, guiding a blind person, alerting a person with diabetes when their blood sugar is too low, notifying someone with depression that it is time for them to take their medication, 
indicating to a person with epilepsy prior to the onset of a seizure and helping them be safe. Emotional support animals. Dogs providing strictly emotional support, comfort, therapy, or companionship are not considered service animals under Titles 2 and 3. Some state and local governments have passed laws allowing emotional support animals into public places. If you have an emotional support animal, check with your local government to see if it has such a law and to find out what it allows and requires. Psychiatric Service Animals Although animals providing strictly emotional support are not covered under Titles 2 and 3, service animals trained to do work or complete tasks related to a disability are covered under Titles 2 and 3. For example, if an animal has been trained to understand when its handler is having anxiety and to take certain actions to lessen the seriousness of the attack, the animal qualifies as a service animal under Titles 2 and 3. Training Service Animals A person is not required to have their service animal trained by a professional organization. Service animals in training, whether being trained by a private person or a professional organization, are not legally considered service animals. Questions covered entities can ask. When a covered entity has questions as to whether a particular dog qualifies as a service animal, it is only allowed to ask two questions. One, is the service animal required because of a disability? Two, what work or task has the dog been trained to perform? They cannot ask for any documentation related to the dog, require that the dog demonstrate the task it has been trained to perform, or ask about the nature of your disability. General points. The ADA does not require service animals to wear a specific harness, vest, or ID tag. The handler is responsible for caring for and supervising the service animal. This includes feeding, toileting, grooming, and veterinary care. Service animals are allowed in salad bars and other self-service food lines. Service animals are allowed in communal food areas similar to those you may find in dormitories or shelters. Hotels cannot assign certain rooms to handlers of service animals. People with disabilities must have the same opportunity to reserve any room that could be reserved by someone without a disability. Hotels cannot charge a cleaning fee for service animals. However, if a service animal damages a room, the hotel can charge for that damage. A person with a disability may use more than one service animal at the same time. 
in those cases, both service animals are entitled to the same access. If the space in question, like a small crowded restaurant, cannot accommodate both service animals, the restaurant can ask that one service animal be left outside. Hospitals must allow inpatients to keep their service animals in their room. If a patient's medical condition prevents them from caring for their service animal, the hospital must allow them to make arrangements to have someone come to the hospital and care for the service animal. If the patient is unable to care for their service animal and they cannot make other arrangements, the hospital is permitted to board the service animal for the duration of the patient's hospital stay. Before placing a service animal in a boarding facility, the hospital must provide the patient the opportunity to make other arrangements. Generally, service animals are allowed in ambulances if their handler is being transported. If transporting a service animal in an ambulance would interfere with the ability of medical professionals to treat the individual, the medical professionals must make other arrangements to have the service animal transported to the hospital. Certification and Registration Covered entities may not require documentation proving a service animal has been certified, trained, or licensed as a service animal. Documents you can buy online from individuals or organizations certifying your animal are not legally valid and provide no legal protection. Local animal control ordinances requiring dogs to be vaccinated apply to service animals. Service animals are subjected to local dog licensing and registration requirements. Local governments cannot require you to register your service animal as a service animal. Covered entities may offer voluntary registration programs for service animals, but they cannot force you to register your service animal. Breeds of Dog the ADA does not limit the breeds of dogs that can work as service animals. Service animals, regardless of breed, have the same legal protections. If a local government has a ban on certain breeds of dogs, those legal restrictions do not apply to service animals. Direct Threat. Covered entities can deny service animals entrance if a specific service animal poses a direct threat to the health or safety of others. If a service animal is denied entrance, the decision to deny entrance must be based on an objective assessment of the specific service animal's behavior or history. And what that means is someone can't say, your service animal is a German Shepherd. I don't like German Shepherds. I'm denying your service animal entrance to my facility. That's not okay. The denial has to be based on the behavior, either in the present or the past, of your specific service animal. Excluding service animals. 
The ADA does not require covered entities to modify policies, practices, or procedures if making certain modifications would fundamentally alter the nature of the goods, services, programs, or activities provided to the public, nor does it overrule legitimate safety requirements. If admitting service animals would fundamentally alter the nature of a service or program, service animals may be prohibited. In addition, if a particular service animal is out of control and the handler does not take effective action to control it, or if it is not housebroken, that animal may be excluded. Examples of when allowing a service animal would fundamentally alter its activities, programs, and services include service animals can be prohibited from swimming pools but they must be allowed in the pool area. Service animals can be prohibited from certain sections of zoos where the presence of service animals would be disruptive to zoo animals. If a dormitory reserves areas for people with allergies, Service animals can be prevented from entering those areas. Okay, I'm back. And before we take questions, I want to remind everybody that you do not need to take notes on any of this. If you go to the Demand Hour Access website, uh, there is a post associated with this uh, podcast episode where you can hear the recorded part again, and you can also read text, and there are links to the documents mentioned here. So none of this has to be taken as notes. Uh, the resources are available on the Demand Our Access website. Um, with that, um, Andrea and Brad, do we have any questions? We have no hands on Zoom. Okay. Do we have any in Clubhouse? Uh, I'm not showing any hands raised on Clubhouse. Okay. <clears throat> so thank you. Thank you. What we will do is um, we'll go back and finish the recorded portion, and then we'll come back and take questions on service animals again. So we'll be back in a few minutes. Media players. Under control. The ADA requires service animals to be under the control of their handler at all times. This means the service animal must be harnessed, leashed, or tethered in public places unless these devices interfere with the service animal's ability to perform the work it has been trained to perform or the handler's disability prevents them from using those devices. If the service animal cannot be physically tethered to its handler, the handler must maintain control through voice commands, hand signals, or other effective methods of communication that allow the handler to maintain control. If a service animal must be off-leash to do its job, but the handler's disability does not prevent them from using a harness, leash, or tether, the service animal must be tethered when it is not working. Service animals cannot bark repeatedly, but if they bark once or they are provoked into a few barks, they cannot be excluded. If a service animal is out of control and the handler is demonstrating an inability to control the service animal, the service animal can be excluded. Miscellaneous provisions. 
Hotel guests are not permitted to leave their service animals in hotel rooms unattended. Now, this is patently absurd, and honestly it is a rule I have broken many times in the past. The idea that you're going to go somewhere and bring your service animal everywhere you go, especially since, you know, at a hotel there are places where the service animal can't really participate in events. Uh, for example, if you're going swimming, may, you know, why tie the service animal to a, you know, chair or something when you can let it relax in the room? This is just absurd. That is the rule, though, and the good news is most hotels probably don't know that. Stores cannot require that you put your service animal in a basket or cart. Places serving food are not required to allow you to feed your service animal at the table or allow it to sit at the table. Places of worship are not required to allow service animals entrance because religious institutions are exempt from the ADA. Federal agencies are not covered by the ADA, but they are covered by Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. Now, what that really means is they're just changing the law but everything we're saying here for the most part applies to federal facilities you want to enter there are specific things related to certain areas of military bases law enforcement areas classified areas where the rules are not what we are talking about here but basically what we are talking about here applies to just about every federal facility you will want to access. The ADA applies to public housing programs administered by local governments and to places of public accommodation such as public and private colleges and universities. Service animals under Title I Sadly, this section will be very short. Title I of the ADA covers employment of people with disabilities. Service animals are not mentioned anywhere in Title I. If a job applicant or employee is the handler of a service animal, they must use the typical reasonable accommodation process under Title I to gain employer approval to bring their service animal to work. Talking more about this would go beyond the scope of this episode. We will revisit it when we discuss Title I if you need more information about service animals in the workplace now, the Job Accommodation Network, JAN, has a page on service animals at work. Miniature Horses While the ADA focuses on dogs as service animals, there is an exception for miniature horses. For the exception to apply, all of the things we have discussed here about service animals must be true. For example, a miniature horse must be trained to work or perform a specific task related to your disability. DOJ makes the following recommendations when covered entities are considering modifying policies, practices, and procedures to allow miniature horses trained to be service animals' entrance. Whether the miniature horse is housebroken, whether the miniature horse is under the owner's control, whether the facility can accommodate the miniature horse's type, size, and weight. Whether the miniature horse's presence will not compromise legitimate requirements 
necessary for safe operation of the facility. If a covered entity does not believe it can reasonably accommodate a miniature horse, it is not required to allow the miniature horse entrance as long as the denial is legitimately related to the four factors presented above. And this completes our discussion of service animals. Desiree Sturdevant has stopped screen share. Hey, everybody. I'm back. Uh, and before I get into a couple of other things I want to address, I do want to see if we have any questions specifically about service animals. We do not have any hands on the Zoom side. Brad? I've got one on Clubhouse. Hang on. It's Keela. Let me get her on stage. Keela has been invited to the stage. Keela? Keela, I sent you an invite. And I'm here and more than willing to take your question. Well, I guess um, what I'll do is I'll start um, talking about some of these other things. And uh, do we have any questions on Zoom yet? We have no questions on the Zoom side. Thank you. Um, so a couple of things that I wanted to talk about. Um, one is I really do, as I said to the, those of you who've been here from the beginning of this podcast, I really do want the website to be useful to the community. So I really want to encourage people to visit the website and to provide any feedback. And to that end, I want to share a quick story. I was contacted through the website's contact form by uh, someone, and I'm not going to use their name to protect confidentiality, who was asking me specifically about the requirement for uh, signage on restroom doors on trains. As many of you know, in public facilities, there are often Braille um, and, um, in some cases, uh, large print signs telling people about the um, which restroom is what and that kind of thing. Uh, but the interesting thing, and one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this on the podcast, in addition to the idea of encouraging people to let me know what they want us to cover, is that the rules are actually different because of the number of organizations that develop what it means to comply. So what we normally talk about under Title II for state and local governments and Title III for places of public accommodation, which are your businesses, those rules are set forth by the Department of Justice. But the transit rules, as we talk about trains and things, were set forth by the Federal Transit Administration, FDA. The FTA guidelines of what it means to comply with Title II, in some cases, are not nearly as robust as are the requirements that the Department of Justice has created. So, for example, um, the FTA guidance does not, does not require uh, Braille signage or accessible signage on restrooms, even if the signage is provided by uh, the, the train companies for people who do not have disabilities. And whereas under titles two and three, if there is a sign denoting the restrooms, the signage information has to be accessible. And so there's a real difference as to how these things uh, have been interpreted. And sometimes they make a pretty large difference. Um, I don't know about all of you, but I would kind of like to know if I needed to use the restroom, which one I was using and, and maybe where it was. Um, but if you're on a train um, covered by the FTA regulations, you're not necessarily entitled to that information. 
And another reason I wanted to raise this here is what are some of the things we can do when we're confronted with this issue? If, if there is a rule that doesn't quite give us the accessibility we need, what can we do? And the way I see it under this issue is there are three options that the person has. And I did um, suggest each of these options to the person who asked. Uh, but the, uh, the main points are you can show them the Title II and Title III laws. And in this case, it would be the 2010 Standards for Accessible Design. Um, specifically um, at section 216.2. And you can say to them, you know, the FTA does suggest that people follow these guidelines when the its own guidelines don't apply. I think you should do this. And you can see how they respond to that. Alternatively, you can make a reasonable accommodation request. And you can say to the local train service, how do I use the restroom on the train if I don't know which one I'm supposed to use? The reason I like this approach uh, is that you really put them in a bind because how many options do they really have? They're not going to have somebody accompany you every time you want to take the train um, because you may or may not have to use the restroom. And how would they know when you wanted to take the train? And the, the truth here is that the signage, relatively speaking, is not expensive. So my hope is that if somebody asked for a reasonable accommodation and said, I want the signage on the train, especially since it's so logical, that a, a, a transit agency would respond to that. Um, but the third option, if they don't respond or if you just want to really make sure it gets done, is you can file an official complaint. And you can say, I have no ability to tell <laughs> which restroom. And, you know, on each train, it could be different. You know, older trains versus newer trains, it could be in different places. And again, by filing that complaint, you know, unless there's something I'm missing, for all intents and purposes, they will wind up installing the signage because there's really no, I mean, I can't think of a rational way they could accommodate you. And especially since uh, the signage is really not going to be, it's not fundamentally altering, altering anything. And it, the signage is so cheap relative to the budgets of these agencies that I can't imagine there would be an undue burden. And the last thing I want to say about this is you really hope that the humanity at some point would play in and somebody would go, you know what? People really ought to be able to know what, which restroom we encourage them to use. Um, that, that's a pretty fundamental thing. And I want to point these things out to say that there are strategies that you yourself can adopt when you're in these situations where the laws don't typically apply. But this is why asking for accommodation and filing complaints really matters. Because if you do this in your local community, every one of us who relies on the train service, assuming the entity does the right thing, will then have access to the signage. So it makes a real difference when we all do these things. And, and these are some of the strategies that, that people can, can apply. Um, before I move on to... The next thing I wanted to talk about, do we have any <coughs> questions um, about service animals or any of the things we've just talked about in Zoom or Clubhouse? Jonathan, we have three. Way to the Clubhouse stage. Okay, go ahead, because we do have Zoom hands, but go ahead okay. first. Go ahead, Keela, you uh, are unmuted. Can you all hear me? Can yeah. you hear me? Yes, we hear you okay. fine. I'm sorry, you may have a lot of background noise. I'm actually at work. Um, three. One of the things I want to talk about and ask the question is, this is something we all know about and hate it, is Uber. I take Uber every day, uh, back and forth to work, and for errands, and I have a CNI dog, and I have been cussed out, I have been put out, 
I have been, the driver has actually took off when I'm holding on to the car handle. I've had all kinds of things happen. I have um, complained. I have reported reported them. I don't know how many times. And all they do is give you a $15 credit or something like that. Nothing's being done to these drivers. And a lot of it is the drivers don't know what Uber is expecting of them, and Uber doesn't realize that the drivers don't know what's expected of them. Yeah, so this, this, I appreciate that comment, and honestly, I anticipated somebody raising this. (laughs) Um, The truth of it is, of course, the Uber drivers are required to take the service animals. Um, And I also want to say, so people understand the significance of this, um, a driver's allergies and things yeah. do not uh, overcome the law. Um, they won't say it this way, but I will. If you have um, allergy concerns or any concern where you cannot um, and will not accommodate a service animal, you're not qualified to yep. Yep. be an Uber or Lyft That's driver right. or a rideshare dry- driver. Now, here's the thing about this. Uber and Lyft are doing nothing, in my view, uh, to really understand and educate people. If you go to both of their websites, there are um, statements to the effect that service animals have to be covered. Uh, There is a language as to how you can file complaints. But as you said, there really is next to nothing being proactively done to find out if drivers understand this. One thing I will say to you is that if you can go to the, the, the link where it has information about your trip, um, if yeah. you need to file a complaint, I would definitely keep um, as we much did. of the information as you can, the license plate and information, we screenshot, we, we screenshot all of that. We, yeah. And I think that that's, but, um, and, what I would do, and now I don't have a working service animal right now, so, but what I would do if this happened to me, um, and I used to do it for taxi companies, is I, I really think the more complaints the Department of Justice gets about this, uh, because it's not, it's not working. On the ground, it's just what's happening now is not working for people. Um, and so... I really would encourage people to file those complaints with the Department of Justice to investigate the process that the individual rideshare companies have for the complaints. Um, and also to be very firm, to tell the drivers up front, I, you know, and, and it sounds harsh, but it's the law. Whatever your reason is for not taking animals you suggest letting them know that you have a service dog first or not letting them know? Uh, know truthfully, the if it was them. if it was me, I would not um, because yeah. the so prevalence of people, the prevalence of people being left um, is too high. Uh, yeah. And I, I don't feel good about saying that, um, truthfully, <laughs> but I'm just being honest that I know so many people who have been left and who are having problems getting rides. So if I was in that position, I would not tell them. But everyone has to make their own personal decisions. And thank you for your question. We have a few other questions. Okay, we have Mr. Campbell. Can you unmute, please? I did, Miss Andrea. How how are you? I'm well, thank you. Good and I get to I get to host your call later today. Well, that'll be fun. Oh. Um, anyway, uh, just a couple quick comments, Jonathan, and then a question. Um, my comment first on Uber and Lyft. Um, you're absolutely right. Uh, people should be filing complaints. The other thing I would do also, if you're com- is contact your your city officials and make see if they regulate them because some cities do and some don't and see if and let them know that this is going on too and they can maybe put some pressure on these companies to do something too the more the more we can do the better but definitely um it's not right and they need to um 
uh, file. The second thing on the restrooms, say on trains and stuff, uh, bear in mind that if you're going to ask for the signage to be put on them, a lot of those restrooms are not gender specific. They're, you know, anybody can use them, but if they're providing, so whatever, if you can find exactly. out what, what signage they are providing and ask that that be provided in Braille and race character, that's, I think that's how yeah. I would go about that. The I point, agree with that. And uh -huh. I think, because I think the, the, the issue with that is that, um, you know, if, if that is the case, you wouldn't know that. And right. So you absolutely need to know that. So, and that's exactly what we would have under titles two and three, which is mm -hmm. we would have the same information. And so, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. You want to make sure that signage would be whatever the information is communicated to everyone who doesn't have a disability mm -hmm. is communicated to those of us who do. I, that's a good point, Ray. Absolutely. And the last thing is, it's a question. And my question is, what obligations do businesses, government agencies, etc., have, if any, Talking. for Ray providing Campbell. relief areas for service animals? It would be in their best interest to do so, but are there any obligations? Uh, to my knowledge, there is nothing specifically that says they have to provide them. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, this is a major issue. There are a lot of places in cities where they're really, it's very hard to find mm -hmm. suitable yep. relief areas. Um, but um, there's no specific, especially, I mean, I think it's, I think what where this becomes a, a tricky issue because I've been at hotel chains where they actually do have some, okay, yeah, you know, um, there are some hotel chains that actually do have their own we were aware of this. Here's where you can go. Um, but, I, you know, if you're going to a local restaurant or things like that, they're not going to provide they're, they're, That's just never going to, the law right. is not going to accommodate that. And, and, and so, also, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I think what we have to, in that case, you really, I mean, a quick story. I was an, I had a guide dog who was very sensitive to this. Um, and the only thing they had were these elevated, like, planter things they weren't like just flower pots they had grass and things and uh i actually had to pick them up and put them in there <laughs> oh jeez <laughs> pick it up um but yeah wow. it, it, it's a real challenge that people face um yep. but the the law does not specifically say that they have to provide you um a relief area mm -hmm. interesting and uh the one thing i'll just leave with this comment on that subject is if you're doing advocacy with your local airports on the issue in the issue of relief areas, make sure they're providing them both outside security and inside security so that you don't uh, have to go absolutely. back through security. Uh, on that. Absolutely. That's, that's all I got, Jonathan. Thank you uh, Thank for you, taking Ray. my questions and you have, have a good a nice day. weekend. You too. Okay. We have any other hands? We do, but I'm going to check with Brad um, just to make sure. Or how, where are we, Brad, with Clubhouse? Brad, can you hear me? Oh, I, hear, I have no hands raised right now okay. on Clubhouse. I didn't think Sorry. so. I just want to check. No, you're okay. good. You're good. You're good. Thank you. Denver Jones, you should be unmuted. Please go ahead. Jonathan, pleasure to make your acquaintance again. Uh, question. You mentioned Title 216. Is that USC 216? No, it's the um, ADA 2010 standards for accessible design, what we call ADAG. Um, so, um, and one of the things I, I was going to mention at the end is there will, I will have a post on this um, on the uh, Demand Our Access website by uh, Tuesday morning, hopefully sooner, but that'll be the latest. And in that post, I will link to this information in case anybody needs that. So you don't need to memorize this or write it down. Um, but that's actually where the Title II and Title III, uh, what they call permanent room signage or something like that is located. And restrooms are, are one of those permanent rooms that require signage as long as the signage is provided for people without disabilities. Uh, demand our access. That's 
R or O U R? O U R, demandouraccess.com. Excellent. And any thoughts on putting an app together with these laws for people with guide dogs, or is that already done? Is there something available for those that are handled? Um, I would. I would love to, you know, whatever, whatever I can do to be a better service to our community, I would love to do. I'm not an app developer. Um, if somebody wants to work with me to help me get that out there, go to the website and contact me or write me at Jonathan at commandraccess.com. I think we could do some really cool things with an app. Um, that's just not, does not one of my skill sets. Uh, but if somebody wants to work with me on that, I'm certainly not opposed to it. Awesome. Thank you for your time. Thank You're you. welcome. Do we have any other questions? All right. I was muted. Uh, we have one more hand. Brandy Bryant, are you able to unmute, please? Okay, Randy, I have asked you to unmute. Can you unmute, please? What I, I can, can do, what I can do ahead. is briefly talk about the other thing that I wanted you go to ahead. discuss. You go we'll, ahead, Jonathan. Okay, Thank and you. We'll just we'll just come back. So the, another thing that I wanted to update people on is there was a, an interesting lawsuit, and there will be a post about this on the Demand Our Access website. There isn't yet, but there will be in the next few days. Uh, there was a very interesting case uh, about whether or not Section 508 of the Rehabilitation Act, which covers digital accessibility from the federal government, whether employees of the federal government can use Section 508 uh, against the federal government when um, information communication technology, so websites and apps and things that people use to do their jobs are inaccessible and do not comply with Section 508. One of the things that makes this so interesting is that the Department of Justice um, actually tried to have the case dismissed, um, saying that essentially the, uh, the Section 508 requirements don't apply to, uh, to the employees having the right to sue the federal government. They were saying it is an employment issue under Title I. Um, the district court um, threw it out and said the government's argument was wrong. Um, and, you know, obviously I'm trying to summarize this carefully, but uh, but the district court's opinion, in my view, was absolutely correct uh, based on the language of the law. Um, but what makes, I think, this question so interesting for the audience here are a number of things. One is it, it does um, as long as we'll see how the case rolls out, if it actually winds up at the Supreme Court, who knows? But it really does, I think, set forth this idea that these laws are meant to be enforced by all of us, whether you're a federal employee, whether you're a member of the public. Um, and for me, um, not to get off on a political thing here, but um, it was just, I'll use the word interesting in this space, interesting that um, the, the Biden administration chose to try and have the courts put in place a very restrictive uh, definition of Section 508 uh, lawsuits, which would have essentially made it all but impossible for anybody to sue uh, for Section 508 violations. Uh, I don't want to go too far off into the um, weeds on this one now. I just wanted to flag it as an issue for people in case you're in the IT field or you have an interest on that. And as I said, in the next few days, I will write up a more detailed post of this um, that explains it probably better than I have here. <laughs> um, and as an aside, if you want to be updated when the website is updated, when I have a new post and things, 
you can subscribe to demand our access from your from the website and you will be emailed every time I um, share new content through the website. So with that, I will ask one more time if we have questions. Yes, let's try Brandy again. Brandy, are you able to unmute? Yes, I didn't get the unmute request before. So can you hear me? Okay, well, you're here now. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. Yeah, okay, cool, awesome. Um, so Jonathan, just to clarify, you recommend not putting in the, so in Lyft, there's like a spot where you can write in to, um, after you request your ride, you can write in like a, a note to the driver. And um, we've actually had great success with that writing in, hey, you know, my husband, when he gets a ride, he'll say, I have a service dog um, coming with me. And we haven't been left yet. We've done it at least five or six times now since uh, well, in the last couple of months. And before it was constant denials um, without the note. So yeah, I was just trying to clarify what your thoughts were. So everyone gets different mileage, um, but yeah. I know, and I think anecdotally in the community, I think we all know people are being regularly left. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And so no matter what I think everyone has to make their own individual <laughs> decisions. I would never say that what I would do is right for someone else. Everyone is their own person. Mm hmm. Um, sure. The question right. that was asked of me is, what would I do? And yeah. My view is, uh, I know too many instances, and I had too many instances in the past with taxi cabs and things where I know I was left. And mm -hmm. I have more, and I'm just going to be real for a second. Uh, I don't think we even necessarily completely know all the times that we're left. Like mm -hmm. if someone sees the dog and is like, I'm not doing that. Maybe they have a way to cancel the trip. Maybe they just drive away. Uh, whereas I have more control over interacting with the person if they don't know. And maybe I can say to them, you know, Hey, this is, and maybe someone, but again, these are very personal decisions that people have to make. And what works for me, what suits my personality may not suit yours. And, you know, I, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to this question because, um, you know, there have, there are people could, you could not put it in there and they could see your dog and drive away anyway. Right. Mm -hmm. There are no right or wrong answers to this. It's just you have to do what's comfortable for you. But um, we know this is a very serious problem that all kinds of people are being left. Um, and that basically Uber and Lyft are doing next to nothing to try and solve the problem. Um, so everyone has to make their own individual choice. Okay. Yeah, and I've had drivers that have told me that they've they know how serious there have been drivers that say, you know, we know how serious this is because uh, if a if a driver repeatedly um, or even if even one or two times um, denies a service dog, they can get kicked off the platform. It's true. So I know some of them have gotten training, but well, I guess some know, haven't. I know someone who was a driver who educated a driver about this who didn't want to take them and then did and the driver admitted that previously he had left people <laughs> yeah and so like i said there are no right ways to do this they're individual choices you, you have to do what works best for you what you're comfortable doing but the truth is uh the main reason i wouldn't is this if they are required to take me no matter what, why do I have to tell them I'm doing it? What is the, why, why do I need to give, under the law, which it is, they have to take me and my service animal no matter what. Yeah. Why do I have to tell them that I have a service animal? It doesn't change the equation at all. In my view, the only thing it can do is hurt you because the people who see that and don't want to do it just won't take the ride. The, oh, I'm busy. Oh, I'm, you know, so mm -hmm. because they're legally required to take, take me and my service animal, 
I, 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 my view is I don't have to tell them and I'm not going to, but everyone has to make their own decisions. Right. Thank you for the question. Sure. Okay. Do we, we have do any have, other? Yes. We have two more hands. Ray, I'm going to wait. Um, I'm going to have you hold on because you've already spoken. Um, area code 518. Are you able to unmute, please? Okay. I've sent you. I don't know how this works on the phone. So um, uh, this is Mary Beth. There you go. Yeah, we um, can hear you. And I, I know I was having, for some reason, difficulty unmuting. Um, I was pressing the right buttons and getting no response. Okay. Um, I just have a, a quick statement and question. Um, I, it seems, you know, for me anyway, I travel with a guide dog. And it seems that in a lot of ways it's harder um, to to travel and get access now than it has ever been. Um, primarily because of the proliferation of of fake service dogs, everybody's pet, you know, all this other thing. Um, and then my question, um, uh, the whole thing about uh, doctors and hospitals in terms of control, um, I, I thought that was really interesting. I wasn't aware of, of, of some of the verbiage in there. And my question is, um, let's say uh, you're going somewhere um, there you are, you and your little guide dog going through and, um, you know, travel to, we'll, you know, say wherever it is that you have to get, we'll say an, an x-ray, okay? So you take the dog, you take the dog there. Um, my my thing has always been to, you know, leash the dog somewhere, go, go to the x-ray and come right back. But technically I would guess, um, even though my dog is quiet and probably asleep, um, it's not under my direct control. Do you have any comments on, on that? Yeah. Again, I think this is where it becomes tricky. When I, when I had uh, service animals and I had to do a procedure like that, I'll be honest, I did not bring them um, for mm -hmm. uh, a multitude of reasons. One was um, I wasn't really going to be doing much. And so they weren't going to be able to help me do too much. Right. Two was there isn't a, you know, it's a place I'm probably, hopefully, if I'm lucky, hardly ever going to visit. So I'm not really going to know my way around myself. Um, but the third is that I'm comfortable enough traveling with my cane that I didn't mm -hmm. feel like I had to bring the dog everywhere. And it just creates, uh, in my view, more problems for me than it was going to solve in that setting. And that's how I personally used my service animals is you know, I wanted it to be where they could succeed, where their work was really beneficial to me and not, you know, asking them to do things that were not going to be easy for them to do or not as efficient for us as a team. And so, um, you know, now could the hospital, uh, that's, uh, I'm not aware of someone, of you know, filing over this or something happening, um, but I just, I don't think it's a, my view is again, just speaking for me, it's not what I would do. I don't think it's the best situation. First of all, I wouldn't want to leave my dog tied up somewhere and then go into an MRI tube for 45 minutes. Um, like, you know, my view. Oh, on I agree this with you there. I was talking about the quick x-ray, the five minute one, the, yeah, you know, that and kind so, of thing. Yeah. And so, but I, I think it's just, you know, I think if a hospital said you can't bring your dog, I think that would be a fascinating thing as to how they would come down on that because it's not in your control. Mm -hmm. um, uh, right. I don't. Sometimes when we have the law, um, you know, truthfully, the a lot of the people writing the laws are, you know, um, almost all, in some cases all, are not people with disabilities. They don't think through these kind of unusual nuanced situations. The law is very generalized. Um, and so I, I think it's just, I think it really is just deciding, again, it's a personal thing. Like if I had to go get a quick x-ray, um, and I have, as I said, I don't bring my service animals to that. That's my personal mm -hmm. decision. Um, people have to make their own calls. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. And I think we have time for probably one more. 
Okay, I want to check with Brad because Brad, I saw your hand go up and then it went down. Do you I have did. I had somebody on stage, but they disappeared. So we're clear over here on Clubhouse right now. Okay, hold on just a minute. Um, Ray Campbell has his hand raised, and I'm gonna um, release him to speak in just one second here. Ray, go ahead. There we go. There we go. Okay, got it. Okay. Just a quick comment, Jonathan. I'll be interested in following uh, your post on that lawsuit you were talking about because that gets dismissed. I mean, what could that mean for accessibility professionals like uh, Desiree and I? So yes. you know, something to it's, think about. It's, uh, it is. And again, this we don't know how it'll go to this if it'll go to the Supreme Court, if they'll settle. This was just a motion to dismiss stage. Um, I was, I'll be honest disappointed to see the way the government handled this um both from a legal and yeah. you know a principled position um it was not right uh, in my view um but i will put more up about that uh, in the next few days because i know it's about 12 um and i don't want to keep acb folks um so in closing i want to thank everybody for coming today um i want to thank everybody in on acb and clubhouse and zoom I want to thank Andrea and Brad uh, for their help today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jonathan. And and we will be back in two weeks at 2 p.m. Eastern. I hope everyone enjoys the rest of their weekend.